Uh, as James already said, my name is Tim, and as I've introduced myself, but mainly for the podcast that people do listen. Do you know that averagely about 250 people listen to the podcast uh, every week? So that's what, one of the reasons why we do it. So my name is Tim. I'm one of the leaders here at the Vine Church. But I think the only sensible place to start is actually with a joke. And some of you might have heard this joke before uh, when it comes to the Hebrews. But a husband and wife were fighting about who makes the coffee in the morning. Does anyone have a situation like that? Who makes the coffee in the morning or the, or the tea in the morning? The wife says, you wake up before me, so you should do it. The husband says, it's part of your cooking, so it's your responsibility. No, the wife says. In the Bible, the man makes the coffee. The husband says, prove it. The wife goes on, be sure she opens up the book of Hebrews. There it is, Hebrews. Sorry. Um, had to get that one in. Uh, so this morning, we're starting on a new series, as Jamie's already said, on Hebrews. And we've themed this series, Jesus is Greater Than. And that is a mega theme in the series. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. And we're going to do the whole of Hebrews today. Uh, not the whole of Hebrews, sorry. The whole of Hebrews 1. That'll be a long day. Hebrews 1. There's so much good stuff in Hebrews, and it's, it's a feast for our faith and our lives. And whilst you're trying to find Hebrews chapter 1, uh, Hebrews is actually one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's all about Jesus is greater. Over the next few months, we're going to unpack that Jesus is greater than angels. Jesus is greater than the prophets. Jesus is greater than the so-called biblical celebrities. Jesus is greater than anything this world can offer. Jesus is greater than materialism, human relationships. Jesus is greater than anything that this world throws at us as well. In every situation, in every life circumstance, Jesus is greater, and he is the one we should look to. See, the book of Hebrews, we're not 100% sure who wrote it. If you read some, um, some theological books, they would either point to Paul uh, but it's very different to any letters. Some would say Apollos, uh, and others say other people. No one's really 100%, but majority of people do point towards Paul. But one thing we do know, and if we get this from Hebrews 2, the person who did wrote it was uh, in and around the apostles. So it was someone who, who was very early on into Christianity. The writer is writing to a, a set of Jewish Christians, it's people that were uh, once in Judaism, and they've converted to Christianity. And we see this because throughout the Bible, he's constantly referring back to the Old Testament, but he just makes some statements, or she, uh, she makes them, he or she makes some statements. Um, but he doesn't, the, person, the writer doesn't really go into detail. He presumes that the person already knows the Old Testament, already knows the Torah. So therefore, we understand that actually the writer was writing to a mainly Jewish converting to, to Christianity audience. The, 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 the writer encourages people to stay focused on one thing, the main thing, Jesus. He doesn't want them to go back to their old lives. He doesn't want them to go back to the old ways of doing stuff. But it's about Jesus now. And there's two main challenges throughout the whole book. 
And it's this. Number one, to uh, elevate Jesus as more superior. And number two, to challenge the readers to stay faithful to Jesus in their lives. So we kick off Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in the last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the universe. See, the writer here is expressing that God used to speak through the prophets. And actually, the people of those days, they knew who their God was because the prophets would uh, speak the words of who Jesus was and what he was calling them to do through the prophets. But he's saying now, now we have Jesus. Now you can see who God is. God speaks to us today through Jesus. The people who lived before Jesus relied on the prophets They relied on them to see who their God was. But now we have Jesus. See, we look at the the whole biblical history and it comes to a climax with Jesus for it points to Jesus. He is the perfect reflection of God's inner being. Looking at Jesus is like looking at a mirror at God himself. But it goes on to say, Uh, It goes on to the next verse, and it says this. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. What is he? He's meaning two things by this. Number one, as the sun's rays are from the sun, S-U-N, so is Jesus from God. It's like a picture in the mind. You see, you see in this, so as the S-U-N sun has rays, and we know the sun, we, we feel the heat, and we, we see it through its rays, so we know God the Father uh, through the sun, S-O-N. And the second thing is that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He is the light that shines in darkness. But then it gets really good, and it says that he is the exact imprint or representation of his being. That Jesus, the Son of God, is the exact representation. Don't you think it's both scary and amazing of how children are like their parents? Have you ever noticed, actually, not just parents, but other, other people have tendency to change the English dictionary when it comes to speaking to their children, usually to children that, they, that can't yet speak. speak. And this is what we do, all do, right? And I want to take you through this. See, when we see a bird flying, we say to our children, oh, look, there's a birdie. We change the English dictionary. It's not a bird, it's a birdie. Uh, uh, maybe it's just me. Or we say, we see a dog, and we go, oh, it's a doggy. Oh, doggy, doggy, doggy. And it's actually a dog. And then our, our children, uh, the ones who can't speak, they'll start saying, birdie, doggy. Oh, look. Oh, piggy. Oh, it's a bit of pooey. Oh, he's done a pooey. Uh, maybe it's just me. But this is what, what we do. You know, come on. Is that, is there other people who do that? Change the words? No. 
Last Tuesday, we were at a, a water park, and I was sitting there with Joel, and we were waiting for Becky and uh, Freddie to come off a water ride, and as I was sitting there, I, I did that thing. I said, oh, look, there's a birdie. Oh, go and get your teddy. We sort of like, we, we changed the English dictionary uh, to, to, at the, the end of the sentence, we, we go longer. Birdie, teddy, pooey. It's like, it's like for some reason they understand more if we make the word longer, but it doesn't really happen. And as I was sitting there and I was doing this, birdie, teddy, I noticed Joel looking at this bird, because he loves birds now, or birdie, and uh, I noticed him just staring at it with his mouth open. <laughs> and the thing is, right, and Becky reminds me of this, I do the exact same thing. When I'm concentrating, when I have a concentrating thing, I will just leave my mouth open. In. So if I'm playing like badminton, I'm like, and Becky reminds me, she's like, You're, you know, the, the shuttercock's not going in your mouth, Tim. <laughs> so, so I'm concentrating, or, or if like I'm doing some garden, or even just like reading a book. So sometimes I'm like, so if, if you ever see me do this, church, you know, it's not me being rude. It's just like a concentrating thing. But the thing is, right, Joel's doing it now. This is, this, this is the amazing but scary thing. The amazing thing, it's so cool that your children do what you do, but it's scary because what is the responsibility? And it, when it comes to Jesus, he is the exact imprint. He is the exact representation of God. Can you imagine how eye-opening this is to the reader of those days? See, for us, we live 2,000 years later, roughly, post-Jesus. But when the reader heard this, they would have known the prophets speak about this God. They would have had an image in their mind of this God. But now, they've, they've like, some of them, the reader, would have seen Jesus. They would have got close to Jesus. They would have seen how he reacted, what he did with his time. This is mind-blowing for them. See, the Greek word here uh, for imprint, but, or you could say representation, is known as character. He is the exact character. Not a character in a play, not a character in the alphabet, but a character, more meaning like an exact a stamp on a coin. See, if I was to give you all money here, if I was to give you maybe like, what, about 10 reach, be kind. Uh, if I was all to give you a coin here, you would see the queen's head on it. But in those days, the coin was quite a significant thing. Because the coin was actually a use of propaganda. Could you imagine 2,000 years ago when we didn't have TV, we didn't really have newspapers, you know, we don't have Facebook and Twitter. How does a king or a queen or, you know, someone high up, how do they get their, their, their name and who they are out there? It was through a coin. And that's why in Luke 12, it says this, verse 13. Later, some of them said to the Pharisees, um, some of the Pharisees said to Jesus to catch him out in his words. They came to him and said, teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others, but you pay no attention to who they are. For you teach in the way God is according to the truth. Is it right to pay tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus said, uh, Jesus knew they were hypocrites. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. So 
They brought on the coin. He asked them, whose image is on this? Whose inscription? Caesar's like. And Jesus says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God's. But a coin was a significant part. You know, the printing press didn't come around until about the 15th century. So what would happen, the, the, the king would employ an engraver. And the engraver would carve a, a royal portrait with some sometimes suitable words into a stamp made of hard metal. And then there would be an apprentice who would go and uh, take some hot metal out of these hot ovens and they would make these circle bits and then they would hand it to someone else who was basically a blacksmith who was very good at his job, probably uh, trained for decades to take that and to stamp. Sounds easier than it actually is, but apparently it takes decades. But to stamp the uh, Caesar's uh, face on the coin. And it would be the exact to what Caesar's. And it was so important to Caesar to get this face to be exactly right. And this is what they would have understood it to be. When, when, when the Bible, this scripture says that he was the exact imprint, the exact representation, it was like them thinking, it's like Caesar, when he tries to get his uh, face out there on the coin, says it's exact to what the face is looking like. And this is what's been happening for thousands of years. God has been giving them sketches of who he is. And this was the work of the prophets. They tried best to communicate. They tried best to communicate who God is. However, when Jesus came into the world, he now get given the exact portrait. That is what is happening. That is what the writer is trying to explain to the, to, uh, uh, to, to, the, um, to the Jewish Christians. The prophets have been given us sketches. But now Jesus is in the world. He is the exact portrait. See, Jesus, he was a man of love. God is love, Father God. Jesus is filled with compassion. Father God is compassionate. Jesus healed the sick. God heals the sick. Jesus did miracles. Father God did miracles. Jesus is a man of good news. Father God is good news. Jesus comes to advance the kingdom. God has prepared a kingdom. So this is where it affects us. Because we are called to be imitators of Christ. 1 John 2 verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If you say that you follow Jesus, you should walk in the same way Jesus walked. We're not called to be the exact imprint, that's Jesus. But we're called to follow his ways. Ephesians 5 verses 1 to 2. Therefore be imitators of Christ as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, this is the thing. The, the thing is, we could read this and say, yes, Jesus is God. But the actual, the consequence for us is that we're called to walk like Jesus in our lives. So here's the question is, how are you doing at imitating Jesus? How are you doing at following Jesus? Love, compassion, praying for the sick, bringing a message of good news. See, this is a confession I have, is that sometimes I watch Britain's Got Talent. And um, 
it's not always good for me, and it's always a load of rubbish, to be honest. Um, but I do do it sometimes, and it's, it's, it's sinful in many ways. And I watch it, and there are some awful people trying to imitate people on it. And I think to myself, I could do a better job. And then I remind myself I can't do it because it, sh- it will be offensive to everyone. But what we're called to do is not just imitate people like their voice or their mannerisms. We're called to imitate Jesus' character and work. We're not called to imitate someone's, you know, like, I really want to do one, but I can't imitate, I shouldn't imitate people because it'll be offensive and I'll offend people. But no one in this room, but you know. Um, but we're not called to imitate people's, uh, imitate people's mannerisms or voice. We're called to imitate Jesus' character and what he did on this earth. How are we doing on that? See, for some of us, we might need to reprioritize our lives, our motives, allow God to shape our lives. The next verse says this, and he provided purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, or if you read another translation, it could say heaven. They switch between heaven and high. See, the scripture has several words to translate right, right hand. It means the opposite of wrong. See, what Jesus does when he sits at the right hand, it was a place that means that you are at honor and authority with a person sat at central place, Father God. In addition, a person of high rank put someone at the right hand to, to equal honor. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians. What is surpassing greatness of his power towards us? The one who believes according to the work of his mighty strength, which he worked in Christ and raised him from the dead. He seated him at his right hand in heavenlies, far above all principalities, authority and power and dominions. Every name being named, not only in this world, but also in the coming age. See, here we see that God, God is there. Jesus is seated at the right hand. And from that place, he has all authority and power. See, some people say, well, why is he sitting down? Well, actually, what is understood, he's sitting down because basically he's finished the work of the cross of the forgiveness of sins. After making purification of sins, he sat down. It's like, you know, when you've done a really big work, you know, your really tired day, you sit down because, you, you know, you've finished your work. He's not tired, but he's finished his work. What He's finished the work on the cross. He sat down because he's dealt with our sin on the cross. He's at the right hand because he's equal to God the Father. And the Bible says now he has all authority in heaven and earth. And from there he rules. Psalm 110.1. The Lord said to, the Lord, uh, to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. I love that scripture. Could you imagine... Uh, you know, Jesus there sitting at the right hand. He said, my enemies will be under my feet. The term right hand is a prophecy referring to the Messiah who's given power and authority over his enemies. See, Jesus, he created the whole world at the Father God's command. He sustains, he's conquered sin. And now, today, Jesus is seated there at the right hand. See, there's a flow going on through Hebrews. He's saying like, you know, Jesus, he is God. He is the exact 
representation of God. He's the exact imprint. And now he's gone up to heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And from there he shall walk. See, let's go on. Hebrews 4, uh, 1, 4. So he became as much superior as angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent uh, to theirs. For to which of these angels did he say, you are my son. Today I become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn in the world, he will say, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking to the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits, his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of the ki- your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hates wickedness. Therefore, your God, therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, the Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens and the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same. Your years will never end. To which the angels did you ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are not all the angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? I just want to pick out a few sentences from this. Number one, verse eight. Your throne, O God, will last forever. Verse 12, but you remain the same. Your years will never end. Verse 13, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your feet. Verse 14, are not angels ministering spirits sent to those who serve, to those who inherit salvation? See, I want to take from you truth this. See, sometimes it's not, I don't want to add anything to the Bible because it speaks power and life. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. But you remain the same. Your years will never end. Sit at my right hand until I make the enemies a footstool of your feet. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation? God's throne will last forever and ever. His will will roll up like a robe and God will stand forever. His years will never end. The enemies will be under Jesus' feet. And then he sent his angels as ministering spirits sent those who inherit salvation. A couple of months ago, Joel celebrated his birthday, as many of you was uh, well aware. And when it came to, we had a bit of a family party. They brought him presents. And like most young babies and toddlers, uh, he rather enjoyed the wrapping paper instead of the actual present. So when it came to us on his actual birthday to buy him a present, we bought him an empty box. And uh, we wrapped up because we didn't want to waste our money. And he loved it. He absolutely loved it. And he's never going to know that we did that for him. And it saved us some money. Um, but this is, what the writer, this is what the writer's getting at to some of the Christians who converted from Judaism. He's saying this. You've enjoyed 
the wrappers. This feels a bit like a Christmas message, doesn't it? But you enjoyed the wrappings. But the main thing is Jesus. You've enjoyed some things of, of Christianity, but the main thing is Jesus. See, the first part of this chapter is just clearly expressing that Jesus is God. And that we should imitate him. Now he's saying that Jesus is greater than angelic beings. And you might be thinking, well, what did this apply to me? Because last time I looked, I haven't worshipped any angels. Or I haven't, you know, started praying to angels. Or I, you know, I don't believe that angels are more superior than Jesus. I, I, I do really believe that Jesus is uh, more superior than angels. But the question is, for, those, for them in those days... That was something was a temptation to believe that some angelic beings were greater than Jesus. But for us today, what if we put more superior than Jesus in our lives? That is the message to us. What if we put more superior than Jesus in our lives? It could be, you know, it could be family members. It could be your worries. It could be your job. It could be your money. It could be anything in many ways what you have made more superior than Jesus. That is what the writer is challenging us. He's saying, you know, for challenging them, the angels, you know, they are not Jesus. Jesus is greater. Actually, verse 14, the angels are here to minister to us. They are go at the God's command. But for us, What are we making more superior than Jesus? Are we abandoning Christianity for something else? You might be thinking, well, we're not abandoning Christianity. Well, that's a bit strong, isn't it? But that's what goes on. See, if we're looking for an easier life than following Jesus, or or we want to follow cultural, real cultural cultural things or, or secular understanding of who God is or, or we get distracted, what we're doing, we're abandoning Christianity. It, it's a slope that goes down. You might be saying, well, I do follow Jesus, but you're abandoning Christianity. Philippians 2.12 says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in the presence of much, in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's saying, don't abandon your faith, but go further every day and every week. That is such a challenge, to work out your faith with fear and trembling. You know, he's not saying that you are not saved. He's saying that salvation is an ongoing. It's something called sanctification, that we're constantly being sanctified to become more like Jesus, to become imitators of God. Actually, when we come to know Jesus, and we all know this here, we don't just get saved and, you know, life's good, I watch TV every Sunday or every Sunday morning, or I don't have to do this, I don't have to do that. It's not about that. This is about relationship, and in every relationship, we're called to go further, and we're called to grow and to strengthen. You know, for Stephen and uh, Marie, you know, if yesterday, Thursday, if they said, we're done in terms of our marriage, not in terms of quitting the marriage, but, you know, our marriage is okay now. We can last for the next 50 years. You know, how stupid would they be? They're not saying that, by the way. But it's likewise for any relationship. You've got to work at it. The wedding day is the easiest thing. It's the easiest thing by far. But it gets 
harder. You've got to work at it. And it's the same with our relationship with God. We are got to work at it. We've got to work it out with fear and trembling so that we don't abandon our faith. And it might be praying, reading the Bible, praying, listening to God. What are you saying to me today? See, this chapter is literally challenging us to elevate Jesus as more superior in our life. And it's challenging us to be faithful to Jesus, not to abandon our faith, not to make anything more superior, whether that's angels, whether that's um, our job, whether that is anything. Nothing should be more superior in us than Jesus. And I really think if we look, every one of us, including myself and all of us, there will be things in our lives which we've made more superior than Jesus. We might remember every night to pray a prayer before we go to bed or when we wake up in the morning. But maybe throughout the day, when work is hectic and you think, oh, my work is like, where's this? Are we making work more superior when we just give it to Jesus? The Hebrew writer is urging us to focus upon Jesus. And right at the end of this whole book, in chapter 12, uh, which we'll come to later, he says, fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author, the perfection of your faith. And this is the mega theme, right at the beginning, right at the end. It's like, a, it's like a sandwich saying, actually, we've got to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. Make him more superior, more superior than angelic beings, more superior than anything, and be faithful to him. So once again, I leave you, well, I don't leave you, but I'll finish it off with this challenge. Are we evaluating, are we, are we being faithful to Jesus? And are we lifting Jesus as superior in our lives? Father God, I want to thank you that we, that Jesus walked this earth and he is the exact representation of Jesus. And Father God, I pray that we would always make him more superior more superior than the things that this world offers, more superior than life circumstances, that we would lift up the name of Jesus. And I pray, Father, that we would walk out, work out our faith with fear and trembling, that we would go on uh, strengthening our relationship with you, deepening our relationship with you, and put you as the main thing. Father God, we pray that you would always be our vision, Lord God. In Jesus' name.